You're listening to Unsweetened and Unfiltered, the podcast, episode nine of season two. A convert's journey to Islam can leave them questioning their identity. Today, we sit down with Rebecca Khan as she talks about how she avoided losing the essence of who she truly is. We also discussed her transition to becoming a visible minority and why she decided to keep her birth name. Hey, it's Danielle and Zaina, and welcome to Unsweetened and Unfiltered, the podcast where we elevate the voices of women by sharing their stories of struggle while also highlighting their success. We wanted to create a space for women to feel like they're not alone in whatever hardship they may be facing. Some conversations may be lighthearted, while others may touch upon taboo topics ranging from mental health to women's bodies and spiritual struggles, and we don't shy away from any of it. But our overall mission is to make every woman realize that she is not alone. We are all in this together, I promise. Our sole purpose is to build relationships, not barriers, between you and the woman who may need you. We're here to provide inspiration and to build courage. Tune in every Wednesday where we'll feature an insightful guest who will help us reach these goals. We laugh, we ugly cry, and we'll probably laugh some more. So plug in your headphones, grab your favorite cup of coffee or shea, and get ready to become a part of this unbreakable sisterhood. You are tuning into season two of Unsweetened and Unfiltered. Such a crazy time that we live in right now, and I, I can't believe that we can't see our loved ones like I haven't seen my in-laws which I usually see every weekend in two weeks and it's really hard not interacting with people outside of those who live in your home I totally forgot you do go every weekend to see them and have they been at home too yeah they've been at home and they've been you know it's it's tough I try to talk to them as much as I can because right now they live alone as well so remember you guys check in on your family especially the ones that do live alone because it's a it's weird time I don't think any of us ever thought that it would get to this point but here we are it's absolutely and I think I kept stressing on my like personal Instagram page like there are people who are dealing with things outside of this pandemic and one of them being actually my family I don't want to go too deep into it but it's like you know as soon as this pandemic happened like my dad had to be rushed into the hospital and and last week I couldn't talk to you about it at all like when you asked me Zaina I was like I can't I can't even talk about it and I don't like pushing so I'm like you know give you your space, yeah. let it, you know. It was, I think, before he had his surgery. I think that's right. what it was. So my dad had to have heart surgery. He's still in the hospital. But you guys got to understand, like, imagine, like, having a loved one go in and having a serious and critical surgery and you can't be by his side. It's the hardest thing ever, and it was very hard on my family. But I can't even take away the pain that my dad was feeling because the fact of the matter is, like, after he had a surgery, alhamdulillah, it was successful because he had a great group of doctors and nurses. Like, I can't stress enough how much we need to support our health heroes, literally. Literally, like they really are, especially at Rush. Um, so thank you to those who are at Rush. But basically, he said, he's like, I went into the surgery not knowing if I would come out. And I think that was the hardest thing. And I realized that right before, the night before his surgery, we talked to him and he was just very down. And it was like, that's not my dad. Like if anybody knows my dad, he's always upbeat, always talkative, always laughing. But it's just like, it really, it, it kind of, it broke us a little bit. But we've been coping all in our own ways. And alhamdulillah, like I said, the surgery was successful, but... Again, a lot of people are facing things behind closed doors aside from this pandemic. Yeah, and it's, I mean, alhamdulillah, I'm so happy that your dad's doing okay. And inshallah, he'll be home and, and back to normal soon. And like you said, I mean, you really don't know what's going on behind closed doors, pandemic or not. You know what I mean? And I feel like now more than ever, we need to be kinder to each other. And I think one thing I did want to mention is a lot of people right now are 
dealing with so much stress because of this and the situation we find ourselves in. Like you said, if someone is pregnant and having a baby and they're due any day now, they can't bring in, like, I know I want my mom there. I would, yeah. They, they can't bring in their loved ones when they need them the most. So I just think it's now more than ever, just be nice and be more understanding when people aren't doing the things that they should be doing does that make sense yeah and then but also don't expect too much out of people because i see and i understand these posts are positive where they're saying oh my god now you have all this time to work on the project and i said that yeah at the beginning we did we all did and i was and you do get excited you do get excited about like oh my god i have free time technically but at the same time i don't want people to feel stressed out to feel like they have to produce something during this pandemic because you have to realize there's still a pandemic going on you're still anxious you're still dealing with stuff and your, even your family dynamic changes, like I said, within our own household. And even you, just you not seeing your in-laws. Things are changing. So I think that we need to not put so much stress on one another. And don't compare yourself to the people online who are finishing projects. You don't know how long they were working on it. And maybe they just needed just a few more days of isolation for them to produce whatever they did. So don't compare yourself to anybody. Take this time to enjoy your time with your loved ones. Yeah. I think that's I think that's what I learned the most is how fragile our lives are, how fragile time is, and how how everything really truly is in Allah's hands and not your hands. Because this week, or last week, basically, I was supposed to be in Palestine. Yeah, that's right. We were supposed to be in Palestine. And I really realized, I'm like, pandemic or not, we would have still not gone, me and my sister, to Palestine. Yeah. Because, I mean, you have your dad and taking like a life-threatening surgery. It's like, yeah, that would not have happened. There's no way I would have went to Palestine. March was supposed to be the busiest oh month. Oh my gosh, we, we were so had, stressed out. We were so stressed out and we had all these plans. And it really, I know this is such a cliche to say, but like, you have your plans but Allah has his and at the end it's really it doesn't matter how much you plan and how much you stress over something it's out of your control well I had that conversation with my mom I'm like regardless of what was happening Hib and I were not meant to go to this Palestine trip because like it was overnight that that happened to my dad or just overnight things happen overnight your life can change in a split second it can change and I think that's why you need to consistently and constantly talk to Allah have conversations with Allah put your trust in Allah because at the end of the day if you don't have that that's like literally what's holding you together is that trust in Allah other than that I would be just in shambles oh 100% I think now more than ever and I keep saying that but you really we're in this moment right now and I don't want anyone to take advantage of this moment because this is asking us hey like I'm here when everything else around you is going up in flames and uncontrollable like I am the one constant thing in your life yeah and I think that's fitting what we're talking about now because we are going to be sitting down with Rebecca now and I'm pretty sure a majority of you guys know who Rebecca Khan is of course we'll let her introduce herself but this was a very eye-opening conversation I I love having conversations with those who have found Islam. And I think sometimes you don't even have to be a convert to find Islam. You can be a born Muslim and truly find that connection in Islam. And I think that's what's so important. And I want us to start slowly but surely prepping ourselves for Ramadan because it was just the other day where I felt like, oh, it's, we're three months away. We're two months away. Now you guys were less than a few weeks away from Ramadan. And I think for all of us, Ramadan's going to be completely different. completely pandemic or not i feel like it's gonna be hard for us to go back to how things were so inshallah inshallah you know we stick together during this time and inshallah you guys enjoy this episode and as always make sure you guys stick around for our unfiltered afterthoughts right after we're done talking to rebecca or any of our guests we usually just you know digest what was what was just we were conversing and we'll talk about that too also side note before we do that during this episode we recorded prior to this whole coronavirus pandemic um, we mentioned going on her cruise and, and ships and obviously don't do that right now wait until after this is all 
gone and we're back to normal to enjoy her new business endeavor. Yeah, Zena's talking about Rebecca's Safina sailing yes. and we were so we were so excited about it and we were talking about it and we we're obviously we want to promote it cuz it's a halal business, it's amazing. Like to be able to go on a yacht and not be pressured to drink yeah. and do this. It's like, yeah, sign me up. But again, we recorded this way before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Majority of our episodes are recorded way before we release them. Alhamdulillah for that because there's just so many incredible stories out there. So it's nice to just record them ahead of time and then inshallah we'll release release them at a fitting time. But again, still support her, still support her business. Um, This is incredible and inshallah things can go back to normal like they were from before. Let's dive in. Let's do it. Rebecca, there is just so much I want to talk to you about today, but before we get into everything, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to those listening? Okay, uh, my name is Rebecca. I live in Canada. I am a business owner with my husband. We're in halal tourism. I've got two kids, a three and a half year old and a six month old. And I converted to Islam in 2014. I think I've lived a rather normal life, nothing super extraordinary. It's like I've been lucky to grow up in Canada and, you know, I went to a good school. Obviously, there's a lot of ups and downs in life, but nothing too wild. And by the way, I love Canada. I think I we need a visit. Yeah, soon. we do. I've never been, but I definitely want to go. No, it's just so different. It's really, really nice. I my family and I used to go almost like every other summer or so. Like my dad just loved it. He used to love just taking wow. a road trip out there. Yeah, and it's not that far from Chicago. It's a nine hour drive, but you know, so <laughs> we're not ba- too bad. Yeah, it's not too bad, especially you know, it's it's nice to like bond with your family in that mm-hmm. way. So yeah, definitely Canada's next on my list to visit. But I want to get into your life pre converting pre-reverting like how was your life from before what religion were you practicing if any and then just how were you even introduced to islam in general like what intrigued you so i was brought up pretty agnostic we didn't really talk about faith we celebrated christmas and easter and it's funny all these things people associate with christian holidays but for me are just very cultural and (laughs) oh wow my dad was married for a second time for a few years to a woman who was christian so i went to church like a few times. I remember, I think I was in eighth grade and I was going to Catholic school just because it was near my house and it was a good school. And I really wanted to believe in God. Like I just wanted that sense of belonging with the people I went to school with. And, you know, I would go to the church a couple times with my stepmom and they had a youth group and everybody seemed really nice. And I remember laying in bed one night and just thinking like, okay, like if there's a God, just give me a sign, you know, like have my door close or like something (laughs) happened. And obviously it doesn't really work like that. (laughs) No. um, But yeah, so even though I don't, I don't know where that came from because my parents never talked about religion, but, but I did want that sense of, I guess, of peace that I saw some other people had, even when I was young, like a young teen. But then as I got a little bit older, you know, I became more of the like, sort of anti-religious, like more, oh, I'm pushing like uh, rationality and intellectual and hyper-liberal and and you sort of being non-religious becomes actually a part of your identity. 
well, basically up until I converted to Islam. <laughs> yeah, until now. Honestly, in that part where you said as somebody in the eighth grade, what are we, 12, 13 years old, that you were seeking yeah. a connection with God, even us growing up in a religious household, I don't think... Sometimes we don't have that finding. I think if you're you're lacking for something and you're searching for something, I think you turn to yearn for it more than someone who already has it but doesn't see how valuable it is especially at that young of an age we're not connected to our religion in that sense no we were doing things just because we should be doing yes, things exactly and at that age 12 13 maybe we weren't praying all our five prayers at that time but we were fasting and stuff like that but we were doing it because we my had to us, yeah. oh my god there's no way you could be just sitting in a muslim household and not fasting yeah. while your entire family yeah. is but I don't know, for me, that just opened my eyes to you. Like, for the fact of the matter is, like, you're 12, 13 years old, but your your heart was longing for a connection to, to a higher being, somebody that didn't grow up in, in a religious household. Like, looking back on that, how does that make you feel? Like, do you feel like your heart was kind of almost seeking Islam at that young of an age? Or just in general, like, it was, it felt like yearning for something more, something bigger? You know, I wonder now if it was, like, connection or more, like, structure and belonging like it's so long ago, you know, and I don't remember yeah. totally what went on in my brain when I was 13. But I say I like had a pretty normal life. But obviously, you know, there's still a lot of ups and downs. I still had a lot of chaos, especially I think going into that time in my life, you're becoming a teenager. I, I My parents were divorced. so I lived with my dad. You know, I'm like 13. I, I'm like starting to sort of get into some quote unquote bad things. And I guess part of me maybe like really sought out that like that structure, that belonging, that good community, like maybe I knew that it would be good for me. Uh, if only I could just get myself to believe, which it's not that easy. You can't force yourself to believe in something. Absolutely not. You, you do have to develop a connection to it. And that's why, like, even Zane and I, like, it was probably, for me, speaking just on my behalf, like, you develop that connection even sometimes at a much later age. Oh, yeah. Even if you're a born Muslim. So imagine yeah. somebody that isn't born into our religion and you are seeking this. Yeah, you know what? I, I wish, like, I never kept diaries or stuff like that when I was that age. So I don't, even if I would have been doing something subconsciously, I'm not sure that I would have been aware of it. I just knew that I wanted to believe in God at, at that point, you know, for probably a few years before that, too, and maybe up until I was 13 or 14. And then I just said, OK, well, then I took the other direction. And is it because you just couldn't find it? You kind of gave up like, you know, I'm not finding what I'm looking for. I might as well just stop. Yeah, I mean, I, I went to church and whatever, and I didn't feel anything. And, you know, I was even interested a little bit in Judaism my first year of university. And again, it just, it didn't connect with it. It didn't make sense to me. I'm a very, very rational person. Like even when I was looking into Islam, like it wasn't about sort of like this emotional connection. It was like, does this make sense? Like is, could this be like scientific? I mean, you can't scientifically prove God, <laughs> yeah. but like, are there contradictions, you know, like, is this something, this, the, the organized religion aspect of it, does that make sense? And I just didn't find that with other religions. That's a great point to make that you weren't already just seeking Islam. You probably weren't even thinking about Islam. You were seeking, first, you wanted to connect to Christianity because of your stepmother. That was like your first available religion that, you know, that you knew of. And then 
it's interesting that you even thought about Judaism. And were those the only two religions that you were kind of trying to dabble in? Or were there other things that you were also trying to dabble in? Because sometimes even some people take certain parts of certain religions and, and kind of match what, it all together. Yeah, yeah, and they match it all together. I think I've met a lot of yeah. people that are like that. I guess like Christianity and Judaism were the most obvious to me. Like, I don't want to say the least foreign, but unfortunately that's the truth. It's like the people that you're surrounded by, right? Even though I was surrounded by people, like I've always lived in multi-faith, multicultural cities in Calgary and in Montreal, but you know, I would, it would have never occurred to me to look into Islam or, and, and just, I don't know, like, Hinduism and Buddhism, Buddhism and stuff like that. You know, I know that like some people, they get into that and these Eastern religions, even though they don't really fully understand what they're getting into. Yeah. No, I think by the time I started really learning about world religions, I was already like, okay, I'm not interested in organized religion. I studied history in university as well as English. You know, you don't get the best image of what organized religion has done throughout history and in modern times. So yeah, but by the time I was introduced to Islam, it was like, I was already, okay, I don't, I, I'm not looking for religion. So it's interesting because yeah, once you found Islam, that was, that was it for you, especially for somebody that you said, like you like to think rationally and everything. But before you found Islam, you found your husband. Can we talk about your relationship with your husband who is a born Muslim? Yes, well, he's, sort of a born Muslim. His father was Muslim, not practicing though, and his mother's British. So he kind of considers himself a revert, that he found Islam when he was 17. But yeah, so when I met him, I didn't really realize that he was a very practicing Muslim. I had never been around practicing Muslims, but I'd been around Muslims. You know what I mean? Like I was in university and there was like a lot of people who identified as Muslim at my university and, you know, they didn't talk about praying or anything like that. So when I realized that my, you know, this man that I had met was actually practicing, it was, it was a bit jarring. I remember telling my best friend like, oh, I don't know about this. You know, he seems really nice. But at that point I was, I was 22. Yeah, I was 22. And To be perfectly frank, this is horrible, but I didn't have a lot of respect for religious people because I thought that, you know, they weren't rational. So then I had this person in front of me who I thought was really smart and and really kind, really good, and who I was, you know, kind of falling for, but then finding out that he was religious. And not only was he religious, he was Muslim. Yeah. Yeah, that was tough to deal with at the beginning. And I told him straight up, I said, I am never going to convert to Islam. Because we got serious pretty quickly. We had a very whirlwind romance. Now I realize that's normal for Muslims. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's just so normal for me. Two to three business days, basically. <laughs> yeah, but for like a 22-year-old white girl, you know, usually you're like dating for four years and then you're engaged for two years. So within a few months, he said, you know, I, I want to marry you and I want to do a nikah and all this. And I said to him, I'm like, I'm never going to convert to Islam. Like, please don't expect it of me. Don't marry me thinking I'm going to convert to Islam because it's never going to happen. Like, I was so sure about it. And why is that? Well, like I said, at that point, like, I was just not into religion at all. I didn't believe in organized religion. And I wasn't interested in finding it. 
And I didn't, I really didn't want him to have some expectation that I was going to convert to Islam. And I didn't really see Islam as like, if I was going to convert to a religion, it's like, it's not going to be that one. Yeah. And I, I understand that because I feel like from the outside looking in, we're not painted in the best light. We're not given the best representation. I mean, you turn on the news and you see all this negative things. Like, why would you want to convert to someone, something that promotes negativity and violence? But then once I feel like you really get into it, then you realize that what you're seeing on TV and what you're reading in the paper isn't what's really going on. So I think for you, you came to find Islam on your own. It wasn't through your husband, right? But how did your husband feel about you explicitly saying, which I also respect, by the way, that the fact of the matter is that you let him know from the beginning that you were not going to convert. Because some people just like to sweep serious conversations like that under the rug and then that caused marital issues. How did he react to you saying that I don't want to convert to Islam? He said, okay. He said, I never said you had to or that I expected of you. The thing with my husband, he had been divorced at that point for 10 years and he knew what was out there and he knew what he was looking for and he knew that it was me. So like, that was it. He's like, you're the person I'm marrying. You're the person I'm spending the rest of my life with. He was 41 when we met and he said, you know, I know you're a good person. I know what's in your heart. And that's what matters to me. I mean, I don't know. Maybe there was all sorts of other stuff going through his head, but you'd have to ask him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true love, though. Yeah, that is, honestly, especially because he, he took you for who you are. And I know you've said this before, Rebecca. It's very distressing to you when people say you converted because of your husband, because you met your husband before being really fully introduced to us. Yeah. So it's like, how does that make you feel? And how were the cultural differences between you and your husband? Because now you're married, now you live together. He's Muslim, you're not. How did that go down? Luckily, I know a lot of converts who marry men or women from like completely different cultures. And it can be difficult, especially with the families. So my husband was born in Canada. Like we have the same taste in music. We eat the same food. You know, we, he even grew up celebrating Christmas and all those things. So we, we don't have a cultural difference really. As far as how I feel when people think that I converted for my husband, I'm very, very insulted because it takes away my agency. Go ask my husband if I would do anything just because he told me to, you know, like it's laughable. I'm a strong, independent woman. This isn't a small thing, converting to a religion, especially Islam, because there are, you know, there are rules and rituals and it is a lifestyle change and it's not something that you're going to do for someone else. And you know what? Even if you do do it for someone else, that's your business. If someone converts for their spouse, who cares? You don't know. You don't know what's in their heart. You know, 10 years down the road, they may end up being a way better practicing Muslim with a stronger connection to God than their spouse. Like... It's just, it's nobody's business. Honestly, and you're right. It's just, yeah, it's just so insulting to women, especially, I think. Because it kind of, it almost makes us seem like we are an oppressive religion. And we can't think for ourselves. And it's our own yeah. people that are saying this, oh, you converted because of your husband, and that's not the case. And sometimes, and like you said, it's okay if it is the case, because maybe that was the last step that you needed to take to convert to Islam. And at the same time, some of these converts, majority of these converts, when they do get a divorce from their Muslim husband, their Muslim spouse, they still continue being Muslim. It's not like, yeah. oh, we got, we got a divorce, that's it. I'm not oh, Muslim yeah. no more. Like, it's not, it, that, that doesn't happen that way. But actually, before I jump into that, like your husband did play a role in 
showing you what a true Muslim is without pushing it on you. Can you talk about that? Yeah, of course. So I think, you know, I started to open up a little bit more to Islam when I would see him and his kids, you know, they'd be praying or seeing sort of the peace and goodness that Islam brought to my husband. Like, you know, he's not perfect. He wasn't perfect back then, but he was really trying. He really does have like a spiritual connection that I really respect. And that I guess that kind of softened my heart a little bit, you know, because it only takes a little bit. And then once you once you pull down that barrier, then you can open yourself up more. And I think that's the case with with anything, right, with learning anything or doing anything new. So, yeah, he he never spoke to me about Islam unless I asked. And, you know, one thing I really respect is if I would ask him a question and he didn't know the answer, he would just say, you know, I don't know. Like, let's find a video that talks about that together instead of just, you know, making something up or just making an assumption that he knew everything or had the answers. Yeah, I mean, this is anybody from any religion. They could have kind of make their own religion in their own way that benefits them oh, and yeah. tricks their spouse, you know? So, I mean, I think as a Muslim, sometimes we go through things that kind of bring us back to Islam, like kind of like strengthens our, our connection to the religion. Was there a moment for you as you were learning about Islam in kind of like a non-direct way that you kind of opened your eyes and said, oh, maybe this is something I really need to get into. Maybe this is something I kind of have to open my heart to. Well, so what happened was, after, so after we met, like I said, I kind of, I softened a little bit to it. And, and we talked about it and I said, okay, you know, when we have kids, we'll raise them Muslim, even if I'm not Muslim, because I remembered when I was a kid, wanting that religion, wanting that structure, that peace. So I said, great, this is an opportunity that I can give that to my kids with Islam. And then in 2013, so just a year after we met, uh, my husband and I went through something really, 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 really terrible. Everything in our life fell apart. It was like complete chaos. It was absolute rock bottom. And then that's when, like literally the day that happened, I was laying in bed that night and I just like spoke to God for the first time. And I just said like, I like just protect us. Like I need you. And like, we need you, we need protection, like Talib needs you. And I think it was after that point that I really started researching about Islam, like watching lectures every day and podcasts and stuff like that, because yeah, I was searching for that peace and that like that calm. And it's so funny because it's, I mean, it's kind of a, it's kind of typical, right? Like so many people find God when they go through something bad, but even in Islam, it's taught us that, you know, you have the closest connection with God when you're at your worst, when everything is going wrong, not when everything is going right. So I think for me, that was like, that was my lesson. That was how, that's what needed to happen to me, basically. Like something had to happen to me to really soften my heart and knock down those walls. And even for my husband, like after that happened, you know, he, his his connection to God like changed a lot and he became a better Muslim and a better person. So we both found a lot of a lot of goodness out of a really bad situation. Yeah, and I, I see that happening so much. Like people will almost get into a car accident or something almost bad will happen to them or something will happen to them. And and that kind of it kind of opens their eyes to like, okay, now 
is a time that I have to ask God for help and, and reach out to God. And it kind of does bring them back to the religion. And honestly, I feel like those are the moments that we need to be grateful for, because if those moments didn't happen, then we wouldn't be where we are right now. I recently said that we need to learn how to befriend our hardships because our hardships, I feel, are the closest connections to God. I think when you lose all hope in life, in people, and everything surrounding you, it's God that ends up calling you. It's that last thread of hope in that room filled with darkness that you you basically feel like you have no escape route. And but then there's God. He was the only one still standing there, still wanting to somehow, you know help you and guide you. And I think it's beautiful that Rebecca, you shared that with us that, yeah, you guys were probably going through something very, very horrible, very hard. And you still found it and still still found a way within your heart to still seek God, especially somebody that you said you didn't really have an actual organized religion that you were following. You were still trying to figure yourself out, still trying to figure out who you want to, you know, pray to who, who do you want to guide you in life? And, but here your heart just did the talking on its own. It just called out God on its own in a moment of such weakness and going through such turmoil. So I think that's just, that's so beautiful. Like when did you, after have dealing with that, and you did say your husband kind of started transitioning into becoming just, you know, having a better faith in, in God. I don't think I want to say better Muslim because I think we're always all trying. When did you decide to finally take your Shahada and be like, I, this is it, this is it for me? So it was a year later. Yeah, that everything fell apart in the summer of 2013. And then it was actually the summer of 2014 because it was Ramadan. I think Ramadan started in July. And I had been looking into Islam all year, like really watching so many videos and like studying tafsir and like basically I was trying to find, okay, let me see if there's something that doesn't make sense. Because as soon as you find something that doesn't make sense, that's really like hits you wrong, then, okay, well, everything else falls apart, right? Because it's a package deal. Absolutely. Um, so I really just studied Quran and, like, studied the tafsir so I could understand the Arabic. I never read Quran in translation. I still don't. I just, I think it's an interpretation. And if you study a little bit of tafsir, you realize how complex and nuanced Arabic is. And the meaning just gets lost, and it creates, for me, it just creates more questions than answers when I read it in English. So I did a lot of studying and I was still like very much in denial. Um, I didn't want to become a Muslim <laughs> because I didn't want to change my lifestyle so much, even though I'd already changed a little bit just from being married. But I know like slowly throughout the year, you know, I was dressing a little bit differently and I stopped drinking and then Ramadan was coming up and I wanted to fast. And, you know, I sort of had to have this talk with myself. I'm like, okay, Rebecca, you want to fast Ramadan? Like, why? You say you, you don't really believe and you're not Muslim, but you want to fast for a month. Like, that's, you know, you just have to admit to yourself. And I never, I didn't go to the mosque and like take Shahada and make a big thing of it and a big announcement. It was just like, okay, yeah, that's it. I'm going to become Muslim now. I'm going to fast Ramadan. Like, I'm going to do all my prayers. I'm just going to. That's it. I'm admitting it to myself. I don't think I told anybody. Wow. I think people just figured it out. <laughs> that you're slowly transitioning, yeah, into this religion. Yeah, I don't I don't even know. I'm trying, you know, this is why if anybody's listening, keep a diary of your life because yeah. you will forget things, especially after you have kids. I'm in the same um, boat as you. I wish, <laughs> I wish I remembered what exactly was going through my mind, you know, or like when I told my husband, because I didn't just pick up the phone and be like, 
Okay. Cause so we were living apart at the time. Um, we were, we we're still married and our relationship was great, but we were just living in different countries. So yeah, I didn't just pick up the phone and tell them I converted to Islam. I found it very difficult to talk about. I still find religion hard to talk about sometimes as weird as it is because I have, you know, like my social media where that's all I talk about. But I don't know, when when you don't grow up talking about religion, it can be uncomfortable. So it was very strange for me to have to go to my non-Muslim family and friends and be like, oh, yeah, like, I'm Muslim now. <laughs> like, I'm going to fast this month. It was very strange for people around me. You had to have had some initial hesitations before converting, again, converting in your own way, on your own terms. What hesitations did you have other than, yeah, obviously the lifestyle changes and the way you have to dress and fasting and praying and all that? Was Were there any other hesitations outside of those things? You know, I just, it's really hard to make a decision that you can't, I mean, you can come back from it, but you can't really come back from it especially when it came to my marriage. Like, although my husband never pressured me to become Muslim and I didn't have to or anything, I knew that if I did, and then if I changed my mind in five years, that's going to be an issue, you know? And there was a lot of lifestyle changes. Or, you know, what if I converted and then I learned more and actually, no, I don't believe this. Or, you know, how am I going to be part of this community that I feel so disconnected from. How am I going to put on a hijab? How am I going to... I'm a very, like, all or nothing person. Well, especially back then, I'm really trying to not be like that because it hasn't been good for my faith to be like that. But I was very much like, okay, you're you're either doing it 100% or not at all, which is not a good way to enter (laughs) a religion, (laughs) especially, like, as an adult. (laughs) Yeah, especially a religion that you're still getting to know, trying to get your feet wet. You know, you just because you announce you're Muslim to yourself, like, what does that even mean? Are you, you don't know every single scripture, every single verse, no. every single thing, or every single, you know, the way we live our lives as Muslims. So it's it's hard to say, I want to be, I think you set yourself up for failure when you do say you want to go in all or nothing, because you're going to be so hard on yourself when things kind of do get hard. And you assume, oh, well, I'm Muslim now, I have to do this, or I'm not a good enough Muslim. And then maybe I should have never converted. So there's a lot that goes on in your mind when you do kind of live a life like that in in regards to anything when it comes to just work, life, family life. And I think in regards to anything, baby steps is like the best thing you can take is like start small, start with little changes in your life instead of doing it all at once. Because I think if you do it all at once, I mean, anyone would get overwhelmed and making life changing decisions like that. I mean, even moving to a different state, moving, starting a new job, those are all life changing things. And I think sometimes we put too much pressure and expectations on ourselves. So like, I completely understand why you would feel kind of, did you feel pressure? Did you feel like I have to be the perfect Muslim? Oh, definitely. And, And I think most converts do. And I see converts who leave Islam because of it. Because they completely change their identity, they flip their entire life upside down immediately, and it's okay for a while because, you know, you're really riding this high. And then we all know that Iman, you know, ebbs and flows, so as soon as you start to go down a little bit, then everything comes crashing down because you've built this entire new identity on being like Muslim with a big capital M. And I've, I've seen people who leave Islam because they say, I can't do it. I can't be the perfect Muslim anymore. Like I, I, 
it's too much. It's too much on me. It's too much pressure. And instead of just taking a step back and, you know, reevaluating their priorities and seeking knowledge and just taking, you know, a deep breath, they just say, okay, like I'm, I'm stepping out of it completely. You mentioned like how you took your time to convert to Islam. And I mean, you did what, a year or two of studying Islam. You actually had, you lived with a practicing Muslim who again didn't pressure you, but he was practicing it in his own way. So he almost kind of led by example. And now you also have your own son too. So did you, I mean, this is not even like, you had to have had an identity crisis at one point or another. Like you changed faith. Oh yeah. (laughs) But at the same time, yeah, you were still even seeking God when you were younger. But now here you are, you're this God-fearing Muslim who prays fast and has to raise a Muslim child too. And now, mashallah, you have two children. So it's like, how did that go for you? How was that identity crisis? Did you feel alone or how did you seek help and get yourself out of that rut? Oh my God, I'm like... I think I might still be an identity crisis. Of course, that's Um, normal, yeah. It was was really hard when I first converted. Like, although, yes, I had been, like, sort of easing myself into it, still taking that step, again, like, not necessarily an announcement, but, like, within yourself that, okay, you know, now things that I was doing voluntarily just to, like, dip my toe in, nope, now I have to do, and now I'm Muslim. I really had to figure out who I was and what I wanted and so much other stuff was going on at that. I mean, gosh, I was 23. So like, I find that already is just such a crazy age that like everything's changing. I had gotten married the year before I had moved to a new country, then, you know, moved back to Canada and then, yeah. And then when we had kids, that was, you have, you have the motherhood crisis, right? Where okay, I'm somebody's mom. And oh, now I'm somebody's Muslim mom. And I need to raise my kids in a way that I was not raised, which is good in a way, like no offense to my parents, you know, I turned out okay. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I need to figure out like these new traditions for our family. And I need to talk to my sons about God and about religion. And I don't know how to do that. Because nobody talked to me about that stuff. Like, thank God I have, you know, my husband who obviously like leads the way when it comes to that. But him too, he wasn't brought up Muslim. So as far as like Eid traditions and things like that, you know, we really like we're starting from scratch and just have to do our own thing, which, you know, it's nice, but it's hard. I, I definitely think I'm still having an identity crisis as we speak. <laughs> I, I, no, and I, I, I feel yeah. this, I understand that. I mean, just getting married and moving to a different state for me was drastic. And, and, and honestly, like I, there were months where I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. Like it's and really just a hard. location and change. And that's just a location yeah. change. It's not a whole religion change. So I understand. And there are some times where I'm like, you know what? I really miss Florida. And I don't think that's ever going to go away. But I live in Illinois now and I kind of have to adapt and accept that. And I, I, I think a lot of people, when they enter new things and they enter new spaces, they expect it to feel welcoming from the start. They expect to feel like, oh, this is where I belong from the start. They don't realize that sometimes you have to work right. toward that. You do, you, but I feel like you have to work towards that, but then even your community should yes, also meet yeah. you halfway in the middle. When it came to you, Rebecca, did you feel like, there was anything you rushed into when it came to converting to Islam. I know you also put on the scarf. And how did you feel about that? Because you did slowly transition. You said you changed your clothing style. You started dressing a little bit more modestly. So you eased your way into hijab. But no matter how much you ease your way into hijab, that's also, again, another identity change. Because now you you have your identity just, you know, full front so like everybody can see that. How did that work out for you? It was a huge 
uh, change in perspective. That's for sure. When I put on hijab, I remember when I would first go out and like my heart would be pounding because I was just sure that everyone was staring at me. And probably a lot of people were staring at me, um, you know, because people are very curious when you're very visibly white and you're wearing hijab. But uh, I think I wore it for almost four years and I'll never understand the struggle of like living always as a visible minority. Like I had the privilege of being able to change that, you know, and not growing up that way. So I never want to say like, oh, I understand what it's like to be a visible minority. But also like I did understand a bit what it's like to have that whiteness actually sort of taken away from you, you know, being stopped at airports or being asked what country you're from all the time. And people not, you know, when you say Canada, they're like, no, but where are you really from? Although, but when someone responds with Canada, like you just leave it at that, you know? Yeah, yeah. It was a really huge change in my life putting hijab on. There was a lot of struggles. It's a lot of struggles, like dealing with it internally. And again, like you said, externally, like having to face the world. And now you're wearing, uh, you're, you're wearing basically your identity, your faith on your body, on your head. So that's, it's hard. It's just, yeah, transitioning from somebody that was able to just walk out of your house without thinking twice about what you're wearing to now having to think twice about what you're wearing. And who's watching? Well, and my religion is personal to me, you know, like, like I said, it's not even something that like, I'm not talking to strangers about it on the street and now suddenly like I'm the poster child for Islam every time I walk out of the house like god forbid that you you know cut somebody off in traffic and then you're stressing like oh now they're gonna think of all this about Muslims or like you're not super nice to everybody all the time at the coffee shop like a big smile it's like oh those miserable Muslims you know those oppressed women it's like it's a huge burden And you have to deal with like your family and your friends. It's one thing to convert, you know, and they say, okay, Rebecca doesn't drink anymore and whatever. She's like going into that room to pray. But when you have a scarf on, it's like, okay, well, like, who are you now? Like, I don't know who you are anymore. How did your family react to that? It was really hard. My grandmother, when she first saw me, like she wouldn't give me a hug. Wow. She was brought up Christian. And she just like, yeah, I think the hijab was the hardest thing actually for my family because it was really, you know, we're a type of family. You might just like sweep some things under the rug. Like, okay, it's not polite to talk about. Let's just like forget it. But when it's in your face, you know, you have to, you have to confront it. So I think that's when they were like, wow, really? Okay. She's Muslim. And then in their heads, it's like, she's taking this too far. It's one thing. Okay. Pray to whoever you want behind closed doors. But when you're visibly representing your religion, you know, okay, now now it's too much, Rebecca, like you've taken it too far. It's like, yeah, you are a whole new person. This isn't the daughter I raised, I guess. She looks different. Like It's, it's hard. And that actually adds more to your identity crisis pressure because you are the same Rebecca you were 10 years ago, Absolutely. but you have this scarf on your head and a new religion on your heart, but that's not going to change your personality. You still like to go yeah. out. You still like to have fun. And I think people don't see that anymore. They only see the veil. So it's like, how alone did you feel when your own family started to look at you differently? And it's like, that's the last group of people that you want to lose their support. Those are the people that you want to lean on when you are going through this crisis or any crisis for that matter. So were they ever able to come around or is is it still kind of the same thing? I mean, and like my siblings were fine. I remember like I wore 
it when I would go see my little sister and my mom in, in Arizona, which was like a whole, wearing it down there is like also very different than wearing it in Montreal, but that's a different thing. Yeah. My little sister, I remember specifically was like super supportive. She's 10 years younger than me and she was really supportive. And my mom was like, you know, I think she had her feelings, but my mom's not really one to be confrontational about anything. And like I said, I did have it on for four years. So obviously they got used to it, right? I don't think we realize how hard it is for converts. They're com- completely changing everything they do and how they live their lives. And I think as a community, we kind of need to like band together to be there and support because sometimes you don't have your family support. Sometimes you don't have your community support. And I think as Muslims, we kind of have to step in and help them through that transition period. That's so right, because I feel like as a community, we gift a convert the Quran, we bring them to the mosque, and then as soon as they pray their shahada or take their shahada, we let go. We just throw them back into society. But this is like a whole new world to them. Like we're supposed to still guide them, still be by their side, still check in on them, still invite them to Eid, Ramadan festivities, or even just like going to Jum'ah prayer. Hey, do you want to come with me? I feel like we almost, this is not all cases, but Mm -hmm. I feel like we could do better in just making sure that we just don't throw them back into society and expect them to figure this out because it's a shock. It's a complete shock. You're changing your whole life around. You're not only just studying the Quran and reading the Quran, but you're changing every single aspect of your life and except for your name which we're going to talk about and I think that's also super important to talk about when it comes to converts but I want to ask you a question like have you ever I don't want to say mastered but do you ever feel like you finally mastered the point of being a convert where you're going to do something as a Muslim because your heart is guiding you towards it versus you feeling as a convert now I'm a Muslim I should be doing this and like like for example like hijab was one of them do you feel like now you know what choices to make because your heart is guiding you versus feeling like you have to do it because you want to prove that you're Muslim enough. It's interesting what you said that you want to prove that you're Muslim enough because it's so true. I think, I mean, I can only speak from my own experience, but proving to other Muslims that you are Muslim seemed like it was important to me. I wanted other Muslims to know that I was Muslim because I wanted to feel that sense of connection, that sense of community. I think as I just got a little bit older, because again, I was also in my young 20s, you know, as I got older and more comfortable and I had my own family and just stopped caring less in general what people think, I think that really helped me find my footing within Islam as well, because it became about me and my family. And if, you know, I go to the mosque and someone's going to judge me for my blonde hair not being covered, like, I don't care. Honestly, and if somebody doesn't think I'm Muslim enough, oh well. There's always going to be people who think that I will never be as Muslim as them. And that this religion belongs to Arabs and it belongs to, you know, Indians and Pakistanis. And people who have that sort of mindset, like it doesn't matter to me. I'm not in Islam for the Muslims. I'm in Islam for God. And that's it, period. I love talking to other Muslims. I've met a lot of people online that I really respect and really appreciate and have really shown me that there's like a lot of different communities within the Muslim community. But yeah, the people who don't accept me for who I am and where I am on my path doesn't matter. (laughs) I agree with you because you can't expect these these people that 
are like this and that judge you for not being Muslim enough or being very harsh towards you, those people do not represent Islam. The true followers of Islam are more kind. They're more open. They open their door for you. They guide you. They want to help you out. And they'll never judge you for not being Muslim enough because what does it even mean to be a perfect Muslim when it doesn't even exist? And it's hard to just be this perfect Muslim when you're still a human being. So you're going to make mistakes. One other thing that we did discuss offline is just like, how can we as a Muslim community help converts in a better way? Where do we fall short? And there's something that you mentioned that, and even Zaina, you said, as a convert, sometimes you lose your family in the process. And that's very heartbreaking. It's very traumatizing to lose your family. So it's like, now you're being introduced to this new community, and you really don't have the support of your family and friends to kind of guide you and tell you right from wrong, or yeah, you should do this, you shouldn't do that. So sometimes there are people who lead converts in the wrong direction. You even said some even kind of pressure you into getting married right away not you because you were already married but other converts like to really be a fully converted muslim like get married start a family so then you again could be a good enough muslim how do you feel about that yeah so the marriage thing has only come to my attention in the past couple of years since i've really been on instagram connecting with a lot of other converts and i see how many people's lives have actually been ruined that way being pressured into getting married directly like right after you convert is crazy because you like whether it's like a good experience or not, you're going to go through an identity crisis. That is not the time to get married. It is certainly not the time to get married to somebody you don't know. You don't know how they practice Islam. You don't know what they're going to influence you to do. You don't know about their family culture. Like you need to find your own footing. And I have even seen it like comments online, like, okay, you know, the best way to after you convert is like to get married and then your husband will teach you Islam. No, please, girls, don't do that. Like if whatever, if it happens, if you happen to find someone shortly after, fine. But, you know, don't let the community just set you up with somebody. It's you're setting yourself up for complete disaster. And yeah, it is hard because some people do lose their family. Like I'm very lucky. I'm close with my family. You know, my best friends have stuck by my side. My uh, my best friend, you know, I've known her since I was 17 and she's still my best friend. And she has so much respect for me and my religion. And so do my other friends. But a lot of people don't have that. So you need to offer it in the best way that you can. And one way to do that really is like also to respect a convert's culture. Don't expect someone to change their culture. Don't expect someone to... Honestly, I think Islam is actually... Have Muslims are having an identity crisis. Honestly, we are. Majority of us are because I think we are stuck in this limbo of being living in America, in America, but not wanting to be Americanized, but also like feeling detached from our actual like homeland, our like, home countries. And it's just, it's hard to be in a country that isn't basically you know accepting of of islam yeah Yeah. so i think everybody's in an identity crisis and i think the last thing that we need to do is basically tell a convert how he or she should really start practicing our religion and that is hard you have your own set of culture like set of standards when it came to your culture coming into this religion like you shouldn't be stripped away of that when it doesn't contradict your faith when it doesn't interfere with your faith either you know what i mean just because exactly when it doesn't contradict i mean there's Muslim, the thing is, there's Muslims all over the world who practice every single different culture, you know, and I don't think like, even those Muslims don't get enough 
attention. Like there's so many different cultures within Africa and Asia and, and even within Europe, you know, that, that have been practicing Islam for a long time. And I think it's really beautiful that our community has that, you know, we're not like this homogenous culture. So why, you know, why force that on a convert? Why not say, oh, you know, wow, now we have, you know, a new type of culture, a new type of person, whatever, joining our community. Like, that's great. How can we, how can we support that? How can we connect with that? How can we help this person, you know, maintain their identity and their culture, but also integrate Islam like very fully into their life? Even as us, we're Americans, we listen to American music, we watch American movies. I think if you were to walk into any Muslim house in the world, you're going to find different types of people. We're not all the same. And I think the people who want to conform converts to whatever they are, that's mostly a personal reason. That's not really a religious reason. And I think we need to do a better job at keeping converts comfortable in their identity and in their own bodies without placing our own thoughts and opinions upon them. Yeah, which is which is hard. Like, yeah. to be fair, that is hard. You know, even for me, if somebody reaches out to me um, asking me about Islam, like, of course, I can only answer them from my own perspective. And it's the same for other people. But I think if you just have to acknowledge that and you have to t like tell people, you know, this, this is how I practice. This is what I learned. Uh, but there are other ways. And, you know, if this isn't something you feel comfortable with, you should, you know, go talk to somebody else or go do a little bit of your own research. Like, it doesn't mean that the way that you do it is the right way. There is actually like no right way. But I, I feel like Islam is beautiful because like you said, Rebecca, we just come from all different parts of the world with all different backgrounds and everything. And I remember one person like said around Ramadan, like, or yeah, around Ramadan when you're going and praying that a week, you should visit other mosques too. I think like within our own community, we should be like, you know, getting out of our own little comfortable bubble because we do get comfortable. I'm not going to lie. I get comfortable with my own mosque and I see certain types of people, but there are other mosques that are surrounding mine that might have different types of people praying there there are Muslims so it's nice to start just like integrating with one another and just getting out of your own bubble that's so true and this is, spans across all other faiths and stuff like that but I think just as human beings we just you know stick in our comfort we zone we segregate ourselves and within we, our religion yeah and we yeah. think what we do is the right way and everybody feels like their way is the right way but I think we can be a little bit better when it comes to this especially when it comes to converts I think this is a sensitive topic these are people who just came into their religion and we should only be welcoming and not judgmental whatsoever towards them so when it came to your name I feel like this is the one part of your identity that you truly truly held on to of course there were probably other parts but this is like very important to you why was this something that Thankfully, you weren't pressured into changing your name. And why is this something that you chose to keep? Because there are still converts who do feel, and that's their choice, that they do want to change your name, but you chose to hold on to yours. Yeah, so I'm going to say first, if you want to change, if you want to do anything, do whatever you of want. Like, live your best life. But <laughs> when people ask me, like, what's your Muslim name? And I say, well, my name is Rebecca. Oh, yeah, well, what's your Muslim name? still Rebecca and they're like oh okay is that from the bible yeah, but even if it wasn't it doesn't matter yeah like there's no such thing as a Muslim name if your name is good it has a good meaning basically every name in the world has a good meaning no matter what religion or culture or non-religion you come from right we don't name our kids like terrible things Arab names are not Muslim names I, I feel like it's really something that's told to Western converts 
because it's very much about like this East versus West. You need to change your culture. Like your name represents something that is not in line with Islam. And it's just not true. And you should keep your name I, unless you hate it. And you, But I really strongly feel that Congress should keep their name because it's also respect to your parents. And you have to respect the fact that when you convert to a religion, that is hard on your family. Even as a Muslim, why don't, like, if you think about your kid converting to another religion and you feel like you're losing them. And so you, as a convert, need to do things that make your family feel comfortable and confident that you are still their daughter or son. You are still the same person. Like, being a good kid is a huge part of Islam that people don't talk about enough, right? Like, everyone wants to talk about, like, the headscarf or, you know, what you're eating or this or that. But what about respecting your parents? Like that is so huge in the Quran. And I really feel like keeping your name shows your parents, you know, I am still who you raised. I think that's a beautiful way to put it because in Islam, the foundation is respecting your parents. That's like the most important thing. And it says like you have to, paradise lies at, you know, beneath your mother's feet. They say you love your mother three times and you love your father. Like that, it's super, super important. So I think as somebody who converted that shouldn't exclude you from that. You are still somebody, a daughter of some of two parents that, yeah, you should still respect them. So I definitely don't think you should be excluded. And I do want to mention that this is not a rule in Islam that you do should change your name. No. I feel like it's an unwritten rule in some societies of people again who think their way is the right way i don't think all muslims feel like oh a convert better change his or her name or you know i'm not gonna be accepting of them there are two instances where you should change your name though i do want to mention that because i did say like it's not a rule in islam but the only two times is when your name has a bad meaning or when it contradicts basically your faith so it wouldn't make sense to be a practicing muslim but then your faith is come you know contradicts who you are but i i feel like this is just a great topic of conversation because I do feel like a lot of um, converts do struggle with that and I think it's really hard I feel like your name is the last thread that connects you to your family basically but I do want to also talk about how as a convert you're still in limbo and because here you are you're Muslim your name is Rebecca you still have obviously an attachment to your family and their com the community they come from and then you have now a whole new community how were you able to face that were you ever did you ever feel like you were stuck in the middle and you sometimes had to choose between the two communities you know I haven't had to choose luckily but I definitely am stuck in between and I think I always will be and I think it's okay um, I think that if you don't have a space for yourself then you just need to create one and I think there are a lot of people like me and I'm not even just talking about converts you know a lot of second generation Muslims in Canada and in the States. I mean, I know things are a little bit different for Americans, like because your politics are different. And so I am only coming from like a happy Canadian perspective. Yes. Um, <laughs> Please share that with us. <laughs> but I think that, you know, there's a lot of us that do have one foot, you know, on either side and it's okay. Like you, you sort of, you have to embrace it because it's always going to be like that. I'm never going to be fully integrated into the Muslim community the way that somebody born into it is. It's, you know, my kids will and, and this like new generation of the, you know, third generation of immigrants or like kids of converts or something like it's getting more mixed up. But for me, I, I'm never going to fit in there. And I'm never really going to quite fit in with uh, you know, the whole like non-Muslim society at large again, because I do have different values now. 
even like, and you know, a bit of different lifestyle, but really different values, but it's okay. You know, you can just find other people that are in your space and we have the internet so we can do that. Man, when I talk to people who converted like 20 or 30 years ago, I say, mashallah, like I have so much respect for you. I don't know how you did it without the internet. Like, Absolutely. I remember when I was converting, I was on YouTube, like looking at videos. I just wanted to find someone who sounded like me and looked like me and had my background who had successfully kind of become Muslim. And that's what I do why I do what I do online too, because, you know, I want just to show people like, okay, you can still be yourself and it's going to be hard, but it's okay. Like it's, it's okay. If it's hard to be a Muslim, it's hard to be a person. It's literally just hard to be alive. <laughs> so <laughs> that, you know, it doesn't mean you need to leave Islam or that this isn't the right religion for you. It's just a struggle because life is just a struggle. And I think it's so beautiful what you're doing. You're helping people who are coming into Islam, into this new religion, kind of create like a medium space. They have one foot in the Muslim side and then one foot out the non-Muslim side, but they're okay being where they are because they've created this safe space for themselves. And I think that's what you're helping people do. And even Dunya and I as Muslims and our Muslim family. So even for us, you're, you're benefiting us in a humongous way. Yeah, because what better piece of advice than just create your own <laughs> space? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Like it's that's like the best piece of advice because I don't know why there was ever a rule written that you had to feel like you belonged wholeheartedly one. to one side over the other yeah. or, or, or even to both sides. That's not possible. You I don't know think what I mean? it's healthy too. It's not healthy. And like you said, Rebecca, it's not possible because now your values shift. So you're the thing is, you can't please everybody. And I think that's the number one rule that we yeah. should all live life. You cannot please everybody. Just and please yourself. Judgmental. And yeah, don't harm others in the process. And you're good to go. You really are, yeah. honestly. Now it comes to the point of just like even raising your Muslim children. Like I know we touched upon this like earlier, but like, yeah, you're somebody that wasn't raised with like our traditions, I guess, like quote unquote, our Muslim traditions. So how how has that been for you raising Muslim children, especially even during our festivities? Like Eid, Ramadan, has it gotten better for you, a little bit easier for you? So Eid, Eid is hard. Inshallah, it's going to be better this year. Inshallah. We, we moved to a new neighborhood and I really, really like the mosque here. Like the community is really good. Um, I'm lucky because one of my best friends is Muslim. Oh, nice. Yeah. So she's Muslim and she's got a son, um, my older son's age. So I can talk to her about sort of, you know, crafts and whatever inshallah i'm gonna try and make eid more fun this year we haven't really done that much my son is only three and a half there are all these like huge obstacles in raising muslim kids that i am not even close to yet you know my kids are just really young adam is just starting to you know help do his prayers with us and you know we recite fatiha at night and i'm starting to think more okay i need to get like some muslim books and just have it around him more. He started a new daycare and his educators are Muslim, which I love. Um, so he's getting it a little bit more integrated into his life. And I think I just want to be a good person and my husband just be a good person. And our kids are going to see that. And they're going to see that we get our values from Islam. They're going to have to go through their own ups and downs. Like there's no way they're not going to make it through life without having like some crisis of faith where they need to find their own connection with God. So I just want to set some good foundations. And, you know, if I just raise good kids, then I'll be pretty happy with that. hundred percent. I just 
that's the goal. I just think parents put so much pressure on themselves. I don't know if it's because of social media or just even looking at other parents and how they are with their kids, but there's just so much pressure. But you said it so well. All you have to do is just lead by example. Just be who you are. You're already a good person. You're already somebody who does follow, you, you, you know, you have your own set of values. You and your husband are great parents. Just, I guess that's just the best best way to raise your own children i don't think we'll ever be perfect even you and i zina were born muslims but it's going to be even difficult for me to raise a good muslim, muslim. yeah boy in or this girl. world yeah yeah it's, it's it's hard because you want to teach them these morals of just being a good person and sometimes you can be a good person without religion but then you also want to teach them the religion as well and you want them to be practicing and you want them to actually pray and fast so i think it's hard for any type of parents so i think even converts i hope like whoever's listening is like just don't be hard on yourself like everybody struggling in this so don't think that you're less of a good muslim parent you're, you're not going to raise a good muslim child because you're a convert and you're still having your own identity crisis because you mentioned it multiple times that we're all having our own identity crisis so yeah. i think that was a great great point but not only have you converted and you raise beautiful children you have a beautiful family but you and your husband created this amazing like halal cruise line that i would love for you to talk about and i think that's just incredible that you guys did create something for our community like this because i've never seen something like this no, I don't, I don't know if it even exists outside of what you guys are doing. So yeah. big props to you. Yeah. So halal tourism is a really fun industry to be in because um, we love to travel. Like we lived in the Caribbean for a while. My husband especially is just like obsessed with sailing and surfing and just the whole lifestyle. And he really wanted to bring that into work as well. So we have Safina Sailing, which is a luxury yacht charters through St. Vincent and the Grenadines. And actually this year, we're also opening up some hotels that people are gonna be able to stay at. Like it's gonna be all halal food. I can't like name which hotels they are because- Just yet, you know, yeah, yeah. still <laughs> just like uh, in a couple months, like everything's gonna be set up. And But one of the hotels was like mentioned in the New York Times as being like, wow, you know, halal. one of the best hotels in the Caribbean. So we're bringing the halal aspect to that. And I think like really good things are going to happen this year, inshallah. It's, it's hard to start a business, especially when you're, you're sort of pioneering things. Obviously, there's a lot of halal tourism in the Middle East and in Turkey and in Malaysia, but we don't really have a lot that's serving our community here. And it's also such a huge part of our American and Canadian culture to go on vacation, right? It's like, Absolutely. We're like all-inclusive resorts and, you know, we all suffer through winter. Like, God, we just had like a, there's like five feet of snow outside my window right now. We've had our snow too <laughs> this week. Like, yeah, you guys are in Chicago, so you know. Like, we really want to be able to offer that vacation experience to Muslims where they can just feel super comfortable, you know, and they can have privacy, especially out on the yacht. Like, you have so much privacy. If anybody, like, whoever is listening, and for you guys, you should look up the Grenadine Islands because they're absolutely incredible. We were down in October. If you look on my Instagram, you can see some pictures. It's, like, these tiny islands that are completely uninhabited. You can only access them by the boats, like, by small boats, small yachts. It's like a cruise can't go there. It's a yacht. So you can get that privacy, like, like I said, I used to wear a scarf. So I understand, you know, how that can be difficult when you're on vacation and you just want to go to the beach. And even if you don't wear a scarf, you just want to wear a bikini on the beach, like with your husband, you know, and there's like, there's nowhere you can do that and where you can eat halal food. Or if you don't want your kids around alcohol, like for me, that's a big thing about going to a resort. Like, sure, you can eat vegetarian, which I do anyways, but 
you know, all these people drinking on vacation, like around your family, it's just, it's not comfortable. It definitely isn't. I just want to mention that you guys also, it's like alcohol free. It's halal food. You have a private chef. You have a prayer space. Like what? I want to book cruise my, line. My well, not cruise right line. Now. Yeah, would have yeah. that. And it's just, even just the aspect of having just privacy is so nice. But like, even when we go to a simple dinner with the girls or whatever, like literally the waiters and waitresses shove You're alcohol down our throats. Yeah. Like they want us to drink and it's uncomfortable because how many times do you have to mention, hey, I'm Muslim, I don't drink. And then they kind of give you less service like looks, yeah. not that much of a great service because they assume like oh the bill's not th- going to be that high because they're not yeah. drinking alcohol it's just an uncomfortable feeling and it's just i know a lot of muslims face this so it's just nice to see a duo like you guys like you and your husband to create a yacht like this to create an experience like this where you're comfortable being with muslim on a vacation without yeah. having to like you know always explain your identity to somebody and why you don't drink yeah you can just be yourself and you can pray on the front of the boat and and whatever like it's just totally comfortable and i mean the yachts are incredible but for for people who you know don't want to be out at sea for a week or you know who who maybe that's like out of their budget like that's why we're starting with the hotels too so that we can just offer this to more people you said the Middle East has those halal, you know, experiences, but here in North America, we don't really have that. And in order to get that, we have to travel 15 plus hours. A lot of us yeah. don't want to waste a day traveling. So the fact that it's in the Caribbean, honestly, like that makes me feel like I can just plan a religion, a, a plan a vacation, a religious, getaway. <laughs> a religious getaway. I can plan a, a vacation, vacation within just a few days of planning. Absolutely. And again, you guys, yeah, it's called... It's called Safina Sailing, which yes. I love the we'll name. Link it. It's it's so yeah. nice. Yeah, we'll definitely link all of this. But Rebecca, we want to really honestly thank you just for opening up about just your con- converting to Islam, all the struggles you face, and how you raise your own Muslim children, and all the ventures that you have taken upon yourself. It just I know it's really hard sometimes to talk about that because it's pretty personal yeah. i think everybody in their connection to their religion is pretty personal and it's hard sometimes to talk about where you are in regards to like your journey i think we're always either moving forward sometimes we take a step back it's hard it's a struggle and i think we're all struggling one way or another but i just want us as a community to be more welcoming of converts not to say that we're not but i'm but we could be better in some aspects and i just want to thank you for sharing just your hardships your struggles and your triumphs as a convert so Thank you. Thank you for being part of our community. You're an incredible woman and you've shared a lot with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Welcome back to our Unfiltered Afterthoughts. I love that Rebecca decided to open up about why she kept her name because I know this is very, very different, but when I got married, I kept my last name because I couldn't picture myself as anyone other than Zayna Kahuk. That's interesting to look at it from that perspective because I never thought of it because it's true like when people get married either they keep their name or they change their last name you know what I mean and I personally I'm going to keep mine yeah and I think because that's just how I know myself I've always you know I've been born and I'm now 27 years old and I've always had the same name and I think it would be a huge adjustment for me to have to go through that process of changing not who I am but what I'm referred to as. I think it's like you're 
connection to your loved ones and how people have known you all your life and all their lives too but it's like it's it's just like this is my first time seeing it from a perspective of somebody that chose to keep their name as a revert slash convert you know what i mean because like i understand when a revert wants to change your name like to them it's a new beginning it's almost like they're just being born into this religion they want this that they're okay with changing their name and i understand like a fresh that. start it's a fresh start and i think this is why in our religion when you do want to convert or revert it has there's no set rules on wanting to change your name or keeping your name because again Allah knows like each of us have our own decisions to make there's our own connection to our name or there's sometimes a need to want to change your name to start a new life and again it goes back to being married you want you want to show that hey i'm married we're, we're together and i'm changing my last name yeah basically. exactly i think like we said to each their own it's a decision that you're in charge of making and it's nice to know that you have that ability to decide exactly that's what i was trying to get at this episode was really interesting i loved listening to rebecca and her perspective on you know she even said it bluntly like she's like i was a white woman and i became a visible minority because at one point in time she wore the hijab and i think all of us struggle with like feeling you have to do something to showcase that you're part of something and i'm glad that she came to terms with that and realized like i feel like i still have a little bit more to work on i still feel like i need to connect a little bit more before being a visible minority but again like what a huge adjustment that was in itself to wear the hijab and now you're not just like a white lady or whatever canadian no you're like a muslim woman tell me your story oh it's a huge adjustment because it's not only how you feel about yourselves it's all the external people and external things in your life that can now see like I know what you believe and I know, you know what I mean? And it kind of like puts a spotlight on you. Imagine us saying like, we're Muslim, we're born Muslim. And for us, it would be a huge adjustment to wear the hijab. So imagine somebody that just converted and they decided to wear the hijab. So it's like, I think, it was just too much at once, but for her, specifically for her, because there's a lot of people that, you know, they make their own cho- choices when they convert or reverse. So it's just, I appreciate Rebecca for just being so open and so honest and letting her walls down and discussing like her story of converting, but just even just who she is at the core and her family. And, you know, just it's, it's a beautiful story. And I really appreciate all these women who do come on and share their stories. And I just want to thank everybody. And, you know, we have so many more episodes coming your way. Ramadan's right around the corner. We have such an amazing lineup to inspire you and to get you ready, prep you for Ramadan and, you know, just stay connected to Allah even during Ramadan. So, you know, keep a lookout for all that. And we want to thank you guys so much for just supporting us. Walla, we love you guys so much. Stay positive and we'll see you next week. Bye.